Rach. Thank you, team, for uh, leading us so well this morning. In, as we, you know, hasn't the worship been great today? Just being able to um, focus on God and give Him. You know why we worship? It's because Jesus is, is worthy of it. He's worthy of our very best worship. And uh, I pray this morning he received that sacrifice of praise and he was smiling down on us and I have no doubt that he was. A couple of quick things before we start. The Heart for Hills dinner is only a few weeks away now. It's on the um, 18th, for some reason 16th of us hadn't popped in there, but it's the 18th of October. And I just want to remind everybody here that we all need to be here at this dinner, okay, on the 18th. And so... Please register. There is an invitation, if you haven't already seen one, on the information counter there, um, and you can register online or just even if you just write it on the back of a connections card, Kerry will make sure that that happens and that, you, that everyone can be there. My dream is that we will fill this place on that night, and it's an important night. It's not a night for outreach, by the way. It's one of the few things we do that won't have an outward focus. It's for the church family. It's for us to talk about what God is doing where he wants us to go, all right? And so I just want to encourage you, do everything you can to be there. Also, this bush dance is coming up. Let's support it, hey? Let's come along and have some fun. And uh, come on, who likes bush dances? All right, everyone who said yes, you just registered, all right? You're coming. Anyway, it'll be great. We are in the middle of a, a series in Colossians, and we're, we're in chapter 2 this morning. That's where we're up to, and it's called Holy People. And the reason why it's called Holy People is because way back in the first chapter, Paul said to this church that he'd never been to, I hear that you are holy and faithful people. And so we've been making our way through that, hearing, uh, learning all these great little gold nuggets that Paul has when he talks about um, what it means to be holy and faithful people. You know, sometimes, I must admit, uh, Paul's writing style, you know, it's, it's a little bit different, isn't it? I, you know, he, he's just so, I imagine he was one of those guys that was kind of uh, intense. You know, he was hot. He was wired in that way where he was just going from one thing to the next. He never rested. He was always doing something. And his writing style kind of reflects that sometimes. I feel like there's a thought here and a thought there and a thought here and a thought here. And they're all just so fantastic. But we've got to read them, his writing just a little bit slowly sometimes to understand what he's saying in the bigger context. Okay, Even Peter said in one of his letters, that guy Paul can be hard to understand sometimes. And so when we're reading through Paul's stuff, we've got to think about this. Because his, what he's writing, it's from the Lord, it's from the Holy Spirit. It's significant, it's theologically deep, and it's actually life-changing if we take the time to understand and let the words infiltrate our heart. The reason why I want to mention that style of Paul, which tends to jump around is into, in different bits, is because this week I'm actually going to take a couple of verses from last week's passage and mash them into this week's passage to help make a point just a little bit clearer. Now, just so you know, church, you shouldn't normally do this kind of thing, okay? You shouldn't be um, moving chunks around in the Bible because maybe we would get the wrong picture or the wrong point, but I just want to reassure you that it's okay um, this week with what I'm doing here because it's going to bring some more clarity. That's what I think anyway. Hopefully you agree with me when we do that. So here we go. On the screen behind me is Colossians chapter 2. It's verses 8 to 10 with verses 3 and 4 mixed in. 
okay? Don't, don't tell Rex I'm doing this, you know? But it's, it's just okay, and everyone's gone a bit quiet. You'll look at me thinking, pastors, you're not supposed to do this kind of thing, but you'll see. All right, don't let anyone, anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. You see how it worked? Okay, no one. Excellent. <laughs> Pastor Steve, good answer. <laughs> My, uh, so my sermon title for this morning is Christ is Enough. I was originally going to call this sermon Hijacked. That was going to be the name of it, right? Because that is what can so easily happen to us when we don't stay focused on Christ. And instead, we can be tempted to go looking for answers and meaning in a life away from Christ. We look for things um, that, that are from other areas, from the world and from spiritual powers, as Paul says here. Paul says, don't let yourself... Be captured. That's why I was going to call it hijackers. Because we can get hijacked by different ideas and thoughts. Uh, you know, Paul gives these hijackers names. He calls one empty philosophies, and the other one he says is high-sounding nonsense. It's from human thinking, okay? In other words, it's strange ideas that we humans make up, and sometimes they can contradict the teachings of Jesus and the Bible or we haven't um, understood correctly what the theolo- you know, God's theology is on, or doctrine is on some of these things that we're reading in the Bible, and we go looking in other areas. And all too often, it's these empty ideas that can take hold of us and they can lead us away from him as we search uh, for meaning. Sometimes, though, it's, it's really subtle, and we may not realize it until it's too late. Now, you should note, Paul doesn't say... Philosophy in of itself is wrong, okay? If you read that in what we just read, you read it wrong. That's not what he said. Because Paul, he's definitely not some kind of anti-intellectual. You could definitely say that about him. There's no way you can read his letters to the church and think this guy is not a deep thinker. He absolutely is. You can't call him a simpleton. You know, the man was a Pharisee, so he knew his stuff. He was educated more than most people of his time. He was the one that would be arguing with a lot of the religious leaders and the secular leaders of the time about philosophy. All right? So he's not saying don't study philosophy. He's not saying um, have some kind of blind faith or some kind of anti-intellectual faith. That's not what he's saying. He's saying be careful of the empty ones, the empty philosophies and the human thinking that's going to lead you away from Jesus. Here's the caution Paul is giving us. Tread carefully with what and who we're listening to and what and who we're reading because these strange philosophies, and sometimes it's, it can be within the church, it can be some loose theology, and where I'm going to go with a bit today, cultural pressures that can infiltrate our lives, they can infiltrate the church, and they can just lead us slowly away from the truth and you wake up one day and something's changed and all of a sudden you're, you're not there with Jesus where you're supposed to be anymore. 
And I love uh, how the NLT puts it here. Paul says, it's high-sounding nonsense. High-sounding nonsense. Satan, he be, he's throwing everything at us to capture us, to hijack us. So in line with Paul's warning to the church in Colossae here, I'm going to suggest some ways that our current culture has the potential to hijack our union with Christ that Paul says, in him we are complete. Our union in Christ, in him we are complete. So some of these are more along the line of the human thinking that Paul talks about rather than those empty sort of philosophy portion of his warning And I'm sure that you would know of a bunch more that I'm not even going to mention today. But here's the ones that I think can easily capture us. Perhaps they've come from me. And so that's why I'm going to share these ones today. These are the ones that I've had to, you know, I've had to fight these hijackers. The first one is this, and it's the love of more and better things. And when I say things, I mean stuff, you know, possessions. Now, I know I've preached on this sort of thing before, so I'm going to be brief with this one, but it's so powerful I find it very powerful. It's not so much about empty philosophy as, as it, it's about a subtle cultural pull in our life. You know, there's a reason why one in three adult Australians bought a ticket to the Powerball last week. Because that, you know, that $100 million, that was a strong pull. Remember the sermon that we did earlier in the year on, on mammon, you know, that, that desire for riches that, that can really take control of our lives if we're not careful. This desire to constantly have more stuff, and especially new stuff, it's strong. Especially today, you know, there's so much stuff that we can have. The problem is that we've bought the lie that when we have all of the things that we think we want or need, that we're going to have some kind of satisfaction in life. There's this independent group who have worked out a formula for, uh, for the quality of life, and it lists up to 77 countries Uh, by a bunch of factors, and Australia, according to them, comes in at number four, right? We're right up there when it comes to quality of life. We rank highest with adoption of new technology. We're number nine for the number of cars owned per 1,000 people with an average car age of under 10 years these days. We love the gadgets, the big screen TVs and laptops and tablets and smartphones and new cars, and the new cars that's got to have Bluetooth and GPS and cruise control and air conditioning and on and on, and I've got every single one of those things, by the way. <laughs> and, I, and I must admit, I hate to use the word love, but I love those things. They're nice to have, and there's nothing wrong with it. But the problem is when we go to those things for satisfaction in life, when we think they're going to give us something, the problem is that the satisfaction they tend to give us is very short-lived. You've only got to see what happens on Christmas Day with the kids. You know, those gifts are great for the first, what? Someone said 10 minutes? (laughs) Depends on how good your gift giving is. But you see it, it's short lived, isn't it? And if you're like me, the desire for new and nice things, it, it just becomes a trap because my heart is captured by by those by having to have those things way too much. You know, so here's a confession. As I typed this during the week, I went, Oh yeah, I've been meaning to buy that new Bluetooth thing for my car. <laughs> because the other one had died. 
and I did. Like, and because it's like, and, and there's that little, that little part of me went, I can't wait to have the Bluetooth back in my car because it's annoying that I can't take calls and play music from my phone. I know when that delivery driver shows up with the package, you know, from Amazon or Kogan or whatever it is, there's a little thrill, but it's always short-lived. It's always short-lived. And so what happens when that feeling is gone? We look to the next thing because we want that feeling back again, don't we? The new phone, the new car, the new kitchen, the new home, the next pay rise. Something in us thinks only if we can get that next thing, if only I can have that thing, the next thing, ah, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied in life. Instead of looking for satisfaction in Christ, we look for it in stuff. And we're constantly left disappointed and unsatisfied and generally broke, right? Ecclesiastes says, those who love money will never have enough. You know, this is one of the books of wisdom in the Bible. This is wisdom for us. What he's saying is, Solomon, it's never enough. You know, you you could win that $100 million from Powerball, and it would be somewhat satisfying for a while, but there will be a point that it won't be enough. It's a trap and it's addictive and it pulls us away from Jesus and there's no satisfaction found in this constantly looking for what's the thing that's going to satisfy me today. In fact, the opposite is true. This is where the gospel clashes with our culture, right? Because the opposite is true in this thing here. Luke says in Acts 20, he quotes Jesus and he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, If this pull towards stuff is like a hijacker in your life, controlling you, then the opposite thing to do is to give, and that's what will probably break. That power is to give because Jesus says there's a blessing in giving, a bigger blessing in giving than receiving. It's hard to think how that works, but it's true. If we become givers... There's a bigger blessing for us to have than to be receivers of things. Next time you're tempted to get something you know you don't really need, then why don't we try and, and, and just break the control this can have on us and, and give instead. You know, that $30, whatever it is, I don't really need that. I'm just buying it because I want to have another gadget that's not going to be used in three months' time. What if I took that $30 and gave it to somebody who needs it? And see what happens. There's a challenge for you today. The second thing that hijacks us is the need for constant entertainment. Not trying to lay the guilt on today if that's how it's feeling. Actually, maybe I am. Let me just admit it. (laughs) Entertainment is actually a good thing as well, right? I've got nothing against it. I know that God doesn't either. But we are so saturated, saturated with options for entertainment that it becomes addictive. And the problem is, again, we start to replace uh, Jesus as the one that brings what we need in life to to be satisfied and and the centre of our life with this constant need to be filled with entertainment. And it leaves us with no long-term satisfaction. It leaves us looking for the next thing to entertain us. And we find ourselves looking for, actually, entertainment that's 
better than what we've seen before. You know, something that's it's going to be funnier, it's going to be more exciting, it's going to be more extreme than the last thing. What was once entertainment is now considered mundane and boring, and we have to up the ante all the time. You know, the rides at the theme parks from 20 years ago, they're boring now, right? You don't go on the old rides anymore. You need the new one that goes faster and bigger and higher. Well, I did before I turned 40, and then (laughs) then I started looking for the old ones again. (laughs) But we need the, the next bigger thrill, don't we? You know, the movies from the 80s, they're not funny anymore. Have you noticed? <laughs> I've tried watching them again, and I think my memory from my childhood was that that was a good movie, and now it's lame. <laughs> Instead of spending an hour or two watching TV at night, perhaps just to wind down after a hard day, now we've got these uh, 24-hour unlimited options, and you can just be locked on a screen forever. When Netflix releases a new season of Stranger Things, we can consume it in three days, all eight or nine hours of it, right? Obviously, it was just us. <laughs> did, it, did anybody, come on, confession, anybody, anybody else? Oh, thanks, Dave. A couple of honest people and, and uh, one other elder. Good. You know, we, but we, we can be addicted to these devices. We consume social media by the hour, YouTube, you know, computer games, or you could, if you're like me, you tend to like the, the 24-hour news cycle a little bit too much, and you tend to go to it a lot when you don't have to. You know, people can't even walk down the street these days without looking at their phone. And you've all seen the video footage of them reading their phone and then bumping into something, right? And it's... It happens. You see it all around us. It's this constant need to have a device or something entertaining the brain. It's not wrong to watch TV or read the news on your phone or anything like that. I'm not saying any of that is um, evil or bad, but our brains are being trained to want more and more, better and better. And when we can't get it, we get bored, we get anxious, we feel uh, empty and unsatisfied in life. And I guess my point is constant entertainment is a hijacker. It captures us and leads us away from Christ. You know, we, we're very good at watching... Um, all right, how about some more confessions? Who watched the Lions play last night? That, that's all good. I'm glad you did that. It was such a close game. Almost won it. Hey, a bit disappointing. But we, we, we can do this. We can watch football up late, tennis, motorsport, all those sorts of things, all the latest movies, read all the online newspapers, favourite YouTube channels but we can really struggle to put that half an hour aside and just be in the presence of Christ. I'm saying that these things can be hijackers. They can control us. Being in the presence of the living Christ who died for us and wants to be in relationship, and he tells us that he is the one that truly satisfies, and yet we don't go there. The third thing that can hijack us is our over-sexualized culture. One of my favourite cultural commentators now refers to the secular culture as the sexular culture, you know, X instead of C. You know what he means though, right? In our culture, it seems almost everything is about sex without boundaries and it's like an obsession with it now. It's like the world is looking for some kind of utopia that they're never going to find. 
But we shouldn't be so surprised, actually. You know, I just want you to know, church, this is nothing new in the history of, of this world. If you're concerned with where we are as a culture regarding sex and sexuality in, in Paul's time, it was off the charts, especially with what was passed down through uh, ancient Greek culture. And by the New Testament time, it had very much infiltrated the, you know, the Roman culture as well. The Jews and the Christians stood way apart from the sexualized culture of their time, that time where almost anything goes. And, and I guess it's kind of similar to where we are now. But interestingly, Paul didn't call the church to hit the streets and protest and be angry against people. He called the church to reject that way of living by living within the sexual ethic that God prescribed that we should live by, you know, to set ourselves apart. You know, this is part of what it means to be holy and faithful people. We set ourselves apart from the culture that has deviated from what God has called us to do. Aligning with God's values around sexuality is not about standing in defiance of culture. I see it more as an example to the world that his way is the better way and a more rewarding way. It's an invitation to people to something better and ultimately more fulfilling. When we align with God's way, the church should stand apart from the world, not in isolation, okay? That's never, that'll never be my message. Standing apart from the world is not being isolated from the world. It's saying we live within the boundaries of, of God's plan. And the church can then be a sign and a wonder as we demonstrate what human flourishing is according to Jesus and what that would look like. And the warped sexual freedom offered by the world, it's just a trap. It draws you in through temptation and can be very convincing by stealthy means. It can control you. It holds you captive. And it not only leads you to all kinds of poor consequences, you know, with relationships, future relationships, health issues, addictions. What it does is it fills the space that Jesus wants to be in. And Paul calls it, High-sounding nonsense from human thinking. You know, high-sounding nonsense from human thinking. If you want real freedom in this area, his way is the answer to that freedom. The fourth thing that can hijack us is false spirituality. I can't say that word too fast. Spirituality. There's a lot of seductive but false spirituality on offer, and I find even those within the church can be tempted by these things. By this, I mean involvement with uh, psychics, you know, Ouija boards, this big thing now about crossing over, talking with, with the dead, apparently, mediums, astrology, horoscopes, really any kind of spirituality that claims to be spiritual in any way that doesn't have Jesus as the center is false. Everything, okay? Everything. There are spirits... These are the spirits of the world that Paul was talking about. Any form of spiritism or spirituality that separates from Jesus as the means for God and for spiritual power is false. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And God is the only God so anytime you're praying or if you're tempted to contact or seek any form of spirit that is not of Jesus, okay, now we're getting into dangerous ground. 
Not only are these things false, they're deceptive. You may think that you're harmlessly contacting you know, the dead or the spirit worlds for some kind of guidance. I say you're being deceived by dark spiritual forces. When we dabble in these false spiritual areas, we open ourselves to those things, to those dark forces. And I'm not kidding, okay? I've met people who have come to me who have been down this path and are encountering some, something in their life that, that, is, that is dark. And we've had to help them. Not only are these things dangerous, church, we don't need them. We have Jesus. And he is all we need. Everything we need is in Christ. Now these four things are just examples of some of the human nonsense, as Paul puts it, that that can capture us and lead us down the wrong path. Love of money, possessions, the need for constant entertainment, over-sexualized culture, false spirituality. They're just a small number of things offered by the world as answers to our searching for something in life. But instead of finding satisfaction, we find ourselves trapped and held captive by these hijackers. And I'm sure you can think of heaps more that I haven't covered, including you know, what Paul said about empty philosophies and stuff like that. There's a whole bunch in that area that we could talk about. They not only hold us captive, they slowly damage us and our relationships, and they leave us feeling empty and anxious and unsatisfied, and they're just a huge blockage to the full life that Jesus wants us to have in him. He says, I've come that you may have life to the full. Jesus was the one, not all these other things. So I want to take these words from Paul. They're in the scripture. They're for the church. They're warnings to us. But there's also truth in here about the very meaning of life, a life Paul says that's complete. I think that's what we all want, isn't it? We want a real God and to have a life that's fulfilled and complete. The answer is to do it in him. Back to Colossians 2. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. We're complete. How are we complete? Through our union with Christ. So that's what we work on. That's what we focus on more than anything, isn't it? Who wants to be complete? It's done through your union with Christ. Everything we need is in him. If you truly follow and obey Christ, he leads us into those treasures of wisdom and knowledge which in turn lead us into a more fully and deeply satisfying life with Christ where he is enough. Not a life that is trouble-free, by the way. That's not my sermon. I hope you're not hearing that. Not a life that's trouble-free or a life that's going to be wealthy or it's going to give you some kind of status. And, and perfect health and struggles, or no struggles, that's not the promise. Don't read that into it. The promise is that you are complete. You will have what you need because Christ lives in you and he rules over everything. That's the good news. 
Your identity is not found in what you do. It's not found in your sexuality. It's not found in your wealth or job status. It's not being... It's not even found... Your identity is not even found in marriage, by the way. As good as that is. Okay? Number one, first and foremost, is that your identity is as a child of God and you are complete because of your union with him. And if that is the answer to living a full and satisfied life, then go after that union with everything you have. I'm going to just say this. You know this week has been the anniversary, right, of September 11. And you may have noticed, SBS in particular, have run a lot of documentaries throughout the week, and I happen to watch a couple of them myself. You know, it's um, terrifying at times. It's deeply sad about what happened. But at the end of one of these documentaries, the narrator said, after 9-11, the way we travelled changed forever. And he didn't just mean uh, the airport security, you know, the way we have to pack our bags, what we can't take on board and all that sort of stuff. Everyone seems to have accepted that, albeit we grumble a little bit when we go through the airports. The change he was talking about was he said, from that day on, if you were on a plane and for some reason, you know, God forbid you were on a plane that had a hijacker on it, he said, it'll be different, won't it, next time? People will fight back. Because if they don't, the outcome is almost certain death. And we need to be vigilant and fight back against the hijackers in our life because they hold us captive. And it leads us away from life in Christ to death. So put to death anything that will hold you captive. But most importantly, let Jesus be the one who can bring you the peace and the comfort and the satisfaction of life that we crave. Jesus first all else second. In him you will find the treasures of life as you find he is the one who makes you complete. Jesus is your reward. Jesus is your joy. Jesus is your freedom. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your healer, your hope, your contentment, your strength. Jesus is your salvation and your eternity. So church, I just want to say this morning, Christ is enough. Okay? That was the title of this sermon. My question to you is, do you believe it? And if you do, will you go after him? Christ is enough. Would you pray with me? Let's stand together. Lord, for all the times that we've gone looking for answers and satisfaction in all the wrong areas, God, 
We want to confess that to you this morning. And forgive us, Lord, we pray. God, I must admit, it's so hard to break out of some of these things. Because money and possessions, those things, God, we recognize they aren't evil. They're not wrong. It's okay to travel. It's okay to do all those things, God. But when they take the place of you, it's wrong then. So, Lord, help us to refocus on you. And, Lord, in our heart where where we're holding on to the wrong things, where we're looking in the wrong areas, where we've closed the door on you. I, we need your help, God. I pray that you help us open that door to you again wide. I'm always reminded of your words in Revelation. You said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It was, the, it was a letter to the church. And God, uh, when, we, when we can't break free, I'm praying that you give us the, the way, the power and the strength to be free of those things, to find our joy in you, to know you. And Lord, for everyone here this morning, I'm praying for a union that is strong and powerful and complete and it can't be hijacked. So we, we declare as your followers this morning that, that you are enough. You are our hope. You are our reward. And it's you that's satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.